Brazos Stories with Hugh Stearns is a podcast that encompasses the characters and stories of the Brazos Valley. As the fabric of a community is woven from the threads of the stories of the people who reside within. In this podcast, Hugh, a local business owner and lifelong resident of the Brazos Valley, interviews individuals you may know or should know who are contributing to our community life. The mission of this podcast is to tell the stories of the Brazos Valley that will create a strong sense of community in a way that builds bridges across the divides. Our goal is increased understanding and empathy. We do this because our mission at Stern's Design Build is to design and build health and happiness. We seek to do this in the homes of our clients and in the broader community as well. Today, we're going to be speaking with Greg Martin of BB&T. Greg is also known as the Entrepreneur's Banker. Welcome, Greg. Well, thank you so much, Hugh and Emily. I really appreciate being able to uh, to be here and to, to be part of your tribe and be, be on the podcast. You are absolutely a part of our tribe, an important team member for us. And we're going to get into some of that kind of stuff. But let's first see, how how did you make your way to Bryan Colley Station? Well, uh, the the long story. I'll try to try to make it short. So I am fighting tech Society class of two thousand and one, and so um, when I graduated uh, from high school, I knew that I couldn't pay for school, so Uncle Sam was going to have to do that. And so I uh, I started looking at different universities. We lived in a small town that's just south of St. Louis. My dad. Uh, stepdad, he is uh, fighting Texas class of seventy six and seventy eight, and he has many claims to fame. But his the uh, the Aggie claim to fame is he is the very first Aggie to graduate with a master in food science. Uh, his oh, last wow. name, so he was part of the inaugural class, and being that his last name is Brown, so he was the first of the six masters of food scientists to to graduate that day. So he was the very first Aggie to graduate with a master in food science um, back in 1978. So anyway, um, so I, I knew of Texas A&M, and but I'd never visited, or I think that I'd visited the campus like when I was like six. So that really doesn't matter when you're thinking about college. So I just started going and applying and knew that I was going to have to join the military at that point. And so the Corps of Cadets was a natural um, natural transition or, or an option for me. So the first time that I laid eyes on A&M was when my parents dropped me off for freshman orientation week. And so that is like, if, if y'all have not aren't aware of that or don't know what that is. That is like boot camp for a bunch of poor, unsuspecting little fishies coming in. It's Jones. You, get, you get your head shaved, you get yelled at, you start doing lots of push-ups. And I was 13 hours away from mom and dad. So <laughs> suck it up, buttercup. You know, you're the one that made the choice to come down here. And so don't let them see you cry and you got through it. And it was a great experience. I really learned a whole lot. Um, fantastic. I love, love being an undergrad at AM. Uh, but then obviously graduating, joined the military. Uh, I was able to serve with some amazing men and women. Um, I did a year of training in Fort Sill and then down in Fort Benning where I learned how to jump out of airplanes and eat snakes and then ended up at Fort Bragg in North Carolina with the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, served with them for a couple of years, got out, uh, joined BB&T Bank in North Carolina and was with them for about nine years, nine or 10 years. And then six years ago, as BB&T was 
moving into Texas, uh, more specifically moving into Bryan College Station, there was an opportunity for me, me to come home. Um, we lived in Pinehurst, North Carolina, which is an amazing community, great schools, good family. But I knew that Aggieland was the only place that I could possibly have come home and told my wife, hey, let's have a serious discussion about moving and not gotten slapped in the face and kicked out out of the couch. So about six years ago, uh, we were able to come back home and it's just been so amazing to, to be back. Well, thank you for your service to the country as well as your service to our community. So you. in that story, when did your wife come into the scene? Uh, so we uh, we met at Harry's, Hurricane Harry's. So I met my <laughs> wife at a bar, uh, and we were the we had the uh, the quintessential Aggie. Uh, courtship and engagement and marriage. Uh, I was lucky enough to be part of the Ross Volunteers uh, while while I was here, and so um, I tricked my wife. We had a a formal one night, uh, so I met met her on April twentieth of two thousand. I remember that because it's the day uh, the day before muster, and then the next day she saw me as an RV helping it with muster, handing out you know all the programs and stuff, and uh, so being an RV changed my life. I uh, I have my wife. Uh, she she saw me for who I am as a beautiful person, but being in the RV white sure <laughs> sure didn't hurt. <laughs> but uh, so so one year later to the day, I there was a formal uh, for the another organization I was part of, and um, I tricked her, and so we uh, she was all dressed up, and so I had a bunch of my RV buddies all line up at the Century Tree, and so I had she she uh, had another one of my friends escort her from her her apartment all dressed up in a formal gown and everything. And so I proposed to her and she is forever known as the girl in the red dress at the rudder tower, at the bottom of rudder tower, you know, where they do a lot of the new student orientations and take the tours and stuff. Well, they did pre COVID when they at took the, the tours and all that at, at, right, right there at the fountain. Well, they show a video in, in that room and Sarah was the girl in the red dress in that video oh, because wow. th there was a film crew that was around. So, so we had, you know, the RV engagement, um, we had RVs at our wedding, um, and so so she she and I met in uh, at Hurricane Harry's. And it's always fun to to be able to come back. And it was so fun to be able to come back here after being gone so long, and then going back to Harry's and, and seeing the same the, the same balls of beer on the shelf. I think the same <laughs> dust that's on the in the rafters. Um, it just is such one one more small thing of such good memories of this town and this community. Um, so it's it's great to be able to be here and raise our son and uh, just just to be home in Aggie land. Yeah, absolutely. What a great Aggie story. I mean, you, you did it upright. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you, you do a lot. You, you are in fact, my banker at BB and T for which I'm grateful, but you're also known as the entrepreneur's banker and you do a lot of stuff. I don't know if it's correlated with BB and T or, or separate, but, um, tell us a little bit about how you develop that whole thing and, and, and what's involved in it. Sure. Well, I, I appreciate being able to serve you and and the other entrepreneurs in the community. Um, I I have created a personal brand called the Entrepreneurs Banker. Um, so it is it is separate from uh, BBNT now Truist. It is not, it is not something that I do under that umbrella, but it is so symbiotic to what I do. 
that I try to try to maximize the time that I serve entrepreneurs. And, you know, what the reason that I did that is because I believe that there's going to be a need for everybody, uh, but specifically bankers to create personal brands in the future. And if you want to kind of go into that, um, I can explain that story. Um, but, but the reality of it is that I believe that God created everybody to do something unique and specific. Uh, he has empowered everyone with the acumen, with the uh, with the personality, with the experience, with just what makes them come alive to be something very, very unique. And I feel that my for a lot of people, that is to be an entrepreneur. Uh, at this point in my life, I don't feel that calling to be an entrepreneur, but I desperately try to think like an entrepreneur. And I have got a lot of experience through my through my experience with at the core and in the military, leading men and women in extremely um, stressful environments. Uh, you know, with the exception of our first responders, there's probably not too many entrepreneurs that have to um, to worry about bullets flying at them. So, you know, even your worst day, you don't have lead coming at you, so it's okay. Uh, my experience, so coupling that with my experience as as a banker, to be able to understand and help entrepreneurs to understand the risk that's associated in their business, not only where they are, but where they want to go. And then to say, okay, well, let's talk about a strategy to get from here to there. And let's talk about potential risks so that we can de-risk it because being an entrepreneur is so risky. If you can put a little bit of strategic thought and some structure around taking some of that risk out, then your probability of success, while not guaranteed, the probability of success increases exponentially. So I feel it's my role and my my honor and my ability to be able to speak into that and to say, okay, how can I help you get where you want to go? And let's talk about risks and, and let me be someone that encourages you, pushes you forward, but then also holds you accountable. I'm, I'm not a cheerleader, but to be able to say, if you said, you know, if, if you, you are a cheerleader. Be, oh, <laughs> I appreciate that. But, yeah, well, but we also, all appreciate it very much. But but to matter to but entrepreneurs don't need cheerleaders. What entrepreneurs need in the in their advisors and what I call the Fab Five, those five people that they surround themselves with, is they need someone to say, okay, Hugh, where do you want to go? And then you tell me, you're the boss. But then when you start to do things that deviate off that path, then to be able to hold you accountable, say, okay, you you know if you want to do, you told me you want to do X, but by doing Y what we just talked about, it's going to take us away from doing X. Now, now has the plan changed? And if it has, hey, you're the boss, we can do that. But if it hasn't, then let's gently nudge you back to what you said your goals are. And I think the role of a banker in the future and the role that I try to do is to be able to be someone that says, how can, how can I help push you towards that and hold you accountable and cheerlead along the way? Yeah, you're good. You're good at the cheerleading and accountability as well. And and I think that that uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurs we tend to be sort of free spirited and freewheeling, and sometimes that accountability element really is important. Um, so I think I see that the the difference in success and failures from very creative people is often the ability to to be disciplined enough to to stay true to the path. One hundred percent. And you are such a, a good coach uh, along those lines. So let's go back to that personal branding thing. Tell me more about that. So, so let's 
put ourselves in the in the in the shoes of somebody who's not necessarily an entrepreneur. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of a high school student, maybe a, a young woman, maybe a young woman of color who doesn't come from a family of a lot of money. How you know? I'm just kind of tr- trying to think about you know the, this branding thing. How do we use we, we those of us who are entrepreneurs, of course. You know, we're always thinking about that stuff, but mm-hmm. I know that it can be helpful for people who aren't necessarily in those particular shoes. Talk to us a little bit about that, if you would. Sure. Well, it, I think that uh, with everything eh, that everyone ever does, um, with very, very few exceptions, there are things, there are components of each one of our jobs that can be commoditized. You know, you, you know, you, you are a custom home builder. And there are some things that that are very unique and specific about you, but you have built your brand about saying what is different about Stern's design design and build. And and so there's even someone that that works in en- any industry, a banking industry, uh, uh insurance, if you're in manufacturing or whatever it is, at the end of the day, you produce widgets or you produce some type of service. So what sets you apart? And I think that personal branding every is is going to be critical for everybody to allow people to set themselves apart, to be able to to um, to say, okay, well, as I'm going through, and, and and the end goal is not necessarily to become a quote unquote influencer, um, a, a YouTube or TikTok or whatever influencer, and have millions of followers, but is to say, how can I express myself in a way that is uniquely me? And, and that allows me to set myself apart. It allows me to, I, I, I can identify and attract people that I love serving or people that I love being around. And so we're going to be able to um, to create a community. The thing I love about the internet and, and social media is that you can, you, if you really loved the cartoon, the Smurfs from, from the eighties. I mean, seriously, if you love the Smurfs so much that you started a, a, a podcast called Smurf obsession, and all you did was break down the different characters of the Smurfs and just say, Hey, here's, here's what I can do. Here's what I love about it. Then you know what? You're going to attract other people that nerd out on the Smurfs, just like you. And those people may be in your local town. They may be in Canada, Mexico, Russia, all over the world, people that you would normally never be able to meet pre-internet age, but now you can ha- you have a personal brand and you're able to say, here is here's um, what makes me unique. Here's what the the specialness that God made in me, and I'm going to share that with the world. And and you can use that to be so powerful, whether it be attracting uh, attracting other people that are like-minded, whether it be standing out in, in the sea of all the other candidates for a specific job, whether it be when you're in a job, be able to, to come out and say, okay, how can how can I have a situation where people know, like, and trust me? So that helps from a professional standpoint, I mean, I don't do the entrepreneur's banker. I've never once asked anyone to come bank for me and I never will because I want to get the whole point of it is it for me to give value open-handed and, and to push entrepreneurs towards success. Um, but that's, well, I think that's apart. a really, that's a really good point because I don't think you need to ask anybody. I think that most entrepreneurs who interact with you and I'm talking to everybody who hasn't interacted with you actually, 
can th that value is immediately obvious, right? So you don't have to sell that value. It's just there. But that's because you branded yourself like that. Well, in in Hugh, that means the world. But how is that any different than what you as an entrepreneur have to do? I mean, how arrogant for me to think that as a banker, I can sit behind my, you know, the big fat banker, you know, sits behind his desk as a big old cigar and, you know, entrepreneurs come in, but you as, as an entrepreneur have to go out and say, okay, there's a specific type of person that wants the type of house that I build that gets the most value. Right. And you have to track them. So how arrogant of me to think that I don't have to do the same thing. Yeah, right, right. We've all got to do that. And when I wonder too, though, within this concept of branding, which I really love, I've really never thought about it uh, completely like this, but how important is it to monetize the Smurfs? You know, how much of, of our personal branding has to be geared toward generating revenue or, or whatever? I mean, what if, you know, and, and as I think about this, I'm thinking of the different categories of life. You know, we brand ourselves either not necessarily externally, but at least internally within terms of spirituality, in terms of hobbies, in terms of family, you know, there's an awful lot of the way that we build who we are, our personal brand and our identity that mm -hmm. really isn't associated with necessarily with um, how we make money. That, that's exactly right. But it allows you to live a fuller and deeper life which in a lot of ways is worth more than money. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't want to eat ramen and beanie weenies the rest of my <laughs> life. So, so money is important, but to be able to use this as a way, as an expression of who you are and to be able to say, okay, this is, this is one, not only for me to be able to speak into the world and to give good and to give my specific way that, that I can serve, but it's also to, to get back and to, to, to be in a community that you feel fulfilled and loved and has zero to do with monetization. Now, if, if someone, if Mattel wants to come by and be a sponsor of the Smurf, Smurf Obsession podcast and, and you're willing to take $10,000 a year or whatever it is, great. Uh, but that, but someone who loves the Smurfs that much probably would do it whether they got a sponsorship or not. We will be right back after the short message. Are you worried about your parents' home as they age in place? Or are you a busy professional who just doesn't have the time for home maintenance? Stearns Home Care is here to help. Stearns Home Care is an annual home maintenance subscription that includes a multitude of things such as cleaning gutters, maintaining fixtures and appliances, changing light bulbs and batteries, checking and repairing weather stripping, and much more. A full spectrum of service is provided over six visits annually. Give us a call at 979-696-0524 or sign up on our website, www.sternsdesignbuild.com slash home care for a free home estimate. Well, let's think, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the things that you've done within your brand, because there's, there's an awful lot that you've done. Um, so you do a program on profit first, which is a, a, a great program that we've embraced. Um, talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, thank you so much for, for bringing that up. I, I nerd out on profit first and, and I love, I love doing it because it is, uh, because I've seen it help entrepreneurs. So profit first is a cash flow system that was developed by Mike Michalowicz. And if anyone is not familiar, familiar with Mike Michalowicz, I, I, 
hope if if they take nothing else away from this podcast, that they just Google his name and he's written five or six amazing books. And it really is about practically helping entrepreneurs. Um, Profit First is- Or families. And families. That's right. That's right. So Profit First is, is a book that talks specifically about finances. And a lot of entrepreneurs, many entrepreneurs have seven, eight figure businesses so eight, nine, 10, 11, 15 million dollars in revenues. But when they look back at the end of the day and they look at what they, the business has paid them, they, and they've put in 120 hours a week and they're earning on average less than minimum wage with all the stress, with all the things that's going on. And they don't have money set aside to pay Uncle Sam at the end of the year. Cause I mean, Uncle Sam is is that silent partner that every business has, and he wants his taste of your profit, and he doesn't care if you have the cash or not. And so Profit First is a system that helps entrepreneurs put profit first, and, and, and not in the sense of you know putting profit above all else, in the sense of saying, when I get paid, if, if, if a customer is going to pay me $10,000, I'm going to take a certain portion of that, and I'm going to set that aside and have that as profit. And that profit can be used to, to reward the owners. You know, every, every quarter, um, I, I'm blessed enough to be able to be a, a shareholder in Truist, in, in the bank that I work at. Every quarter, they send me a dividend check because I took the risk of investing into that company. And so I get compensated for it. So why as entrepreneurs who take the risk of investing into their own company, why isn't the company being prepared to share some of the profits with the entrepreneur above and beyond a salary? So Profit First sets that money aside and allows you to strategically use that money. And it sets money aside to pay Uncle Sam, to pay the tax man. So you've got cash at the end of the, end of the quarter, at the end of the year to pay him. It sets money aside to be able to have compensation for the owner. And this is where I think owners have such a big heart and owners are very good leaders because at the end of the day, the, the leader eats last. If you can't pay your guy, your guys and gals, and you can't pay yourself, then who goes without a paycheck? The owner. Now, I believe in that 100% and the, the leader, you know, I mean, I remember even as a small symbol, being a lieutenant and a captain in, in the army the officers always eat last. You send your troops in there and your troops get the steak and the lobster and and the, the creamy mashed potatoes. And then when the officers roll through, we get the dregs of the hamburger and the, the burnt fries. But that's the way that it should be because, because your people are the ones that are doing the hard work. But as the owner... If you can't afford to pay both your people and pay yourself, it's not sustainable for you to go without for a long time. Sooner or later, you're going to wake up and you're going to realize that this is a hobby. It's an eight-figure hobby, but it's a hobby because you're not getting paid. You're not being compensated. You can't sustain your own life that way. So Profit First actually sets money aside for the most important employee, i.e. the owner. And then everything else is operating expenses. And what that does is it, it forces you to shrink the amount of cash that you were, that you allow your business to consume in operating expenses. And so by teaching this method, I'm one of two profit certified profit first bankers in the world that, that has gone through the certification course. I'm the only active banker that's actually using it. But by doing that and sharing that with entrepreneurs, Hugh, I have seen 
I've seen the relief and I've seen the joy of an entrepreneur that is able to one, have the confidence and the peace at night that their taxes are paid and they can't wait to do their taxes because they know that they that they've got a load of cash sitting in their tax account that their accountant probably going to find a way so they don't have to pay it all. And so guess who gets a bonus? If you've got $25,000 sitting in that tax account and you only owe 20, well guess who got a $5,000 bonus? So they want to pay their taxes. They want to have it. I've seen entrepreneurs that are able to buy their dream home for the first time to be able to have land with that they've got 5 acres of land because they wanted to have uh, have a place for their kids and them to be able to roam out and get get tractors and dirt bikes and go to town and just just live live in a commute type of community that they had growing up that prior to profit first there was no way that that was like a 10 year goal for them and they they were able to achieve that in within 2 years of starting profit first and it's not anything that i've done but it's but it's me just simply sharing that with them and then seeing the entrepreneurs do amazing work to be able to say that they're the ones that are putting in the hard work and then to be able to encourage and support them and say okay you can do this i know it's tough to to kind of shrink those expenses but look at look at the peace that you have now knowing that um, uh, they're another company is uh, they're in a real seasonal business. And so during the winter time, they have n- almost no revenue, but their owner's comp, their owner's compensation account had so much cash in it that before the, the slowdown time, they had more than enough money to pull out however much they needed every single month in order to, until get through that lean time, to be able to have a Christmas that they don't have to stress and worry about and to put on credit cards and hope to God that the the business comes back in the spring to pay it all off. I mean, the freedom that I see. And in this sense, I want to point out too, that every family is an entrepreneurship. And and this really does work for families as well. And, and, And I think that one of the things that we often fail to do for for people in our community, for in the school system, we don't teach um, financial intelligence. And, um, you know, it's really important for families to, uh, to undertake a similar kind of process, setting aside in a separate account money for the taxes, setting aside in a separate account money for the kids' college and, and, and those different things. And it's really easy when you don't, when you aren't very deliberate in doing that um, to end up with the kids' you know, going where, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to join the military. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, um, and, uh, you know, and that thing about making sure that you cover yourself, I, I was, that's always been one of my difficult things that, um, you know, it's that eat the owner eats last thing, but we've got to make sure the owner eats. I had a, a production manager when I was quite a bit younger who told me, look, you can't do for others if you if you aren't here to do you know you've got to take care of yourself to be able to serve others and and this a large this is a large part of that is making sure that you're providing for yourself in a way that you can then also provide for others yes 100% a, a really so the, uh, uh, you also do quite a few other things for for the entrepreneurial community in the Brazos Valley um, you send out emails um, you, I think, you, do you do a podcast yourself? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. I, so, um, I have, uh, as part of the entrepreneur's banker brand, um, that I started that just over, well, at the end of, uh, July, it'll be like three years. And it started with me just wanting, again, the whole purpose of this is to generate content that, 
entrepreneur that hopefully I beg and pray that entrepreneurs find valuable um, and, and to be able to digest it. I, I mean, I, I work at a bank. There's nothing sexy about banking. Absolutely nothing. But the concepts that I deal with on a day-to-day basis of understanding risk and helping with risk and, and, and identifying ways to protect yourself, that gets really sexy really quick if, if it helps you to be sustainable and to achieve your long-term goals. And so that's why I started creating content. And then to be able to, like I said, to take the, the experience that I had from, from my leadership days in, in the military and, and being out of the military to be able to help with that. So I, I started by writing an article, one article a week. And I did that for about two and a half years. And that got, re- I mean, that's a slog. Yeah. That is a real hard thing to, to do. And I'm the type of guy. And then I know that there's some, there are some great uh, companies that are out there that allow you to, that, that create content for you, write articles and stuff like that. But for me, it, it needed to come from, from my mouth. It needed to come off of my fingertips to be able to be authentic. And, and it wasn't anything from the sense of look at me, I'm the subject matter expert, but it's the, if I'm going to stand behind it, then I'm going to vet it and I'm going to write it myself, but that's hard, hard work. And so then, you know, then we had this little thing called COVID last year. And then specifically in the banking world, it was the PPP. And that information was changing so rapidly. What I started, what I shifted to do last year is there, there was about a two or three week period that I did a video every single day. Cause I could, I could just, I can hit play or record on my, um, on my phone and just blather on. And that well, it was really time. helpful for those of us who were kind of going, what's going on and how are we going to navigate this? Those were very helpful. And the, the truth is, is, I had no idea either because it was changing so much, <laughs> but it, it changed on a daily basis. But, but I was in, in a position of knowledge in the sense that I was with a bank that, that was dealing with it. And so it's like, how can I get this information out to the people that really need it? Because, you know, that time, those dark old days were really tough on bankers. And, and I'm so proud that bankers as a whole stepped up, but Hugh, no single banker ever had to go to an employee, look them in the eyes and say, I know you've been with me for 15 years. You know what's going on. I don't have the cash to pay you. I'm sorry. I'm going to have, you're going to have to go on employment. No banker ever had to do that. And because of that, bankers suck it up and we, we work long hours. I mean, I hadn't pulled a 24 hour shift and since college, but that's what we did. And so, so I, I tried to produce videos to do that. And so now I've kind of shifted away from that and, um, I'm, I'm doing, um, I do monthly newsletters, but I've also started to come and start doing specific classes. So I've, I've done a class that talks about financial flexibility, uh, again, understanding how you can be most nimble as an entrepreneur and how can you can leverage everything from your customers to your bank, to your support suppliers to how you were, how you even have things on your balance sheet to be able to make you more flexible so that you can adapt and shift. And if there is a COVID-32 that hits, are you, are you flexible enough to be able to, to, to maneuver? Uh, I've, I've created a course on budgeting and planning and no one really that's, that's, again, that's not a super sexy thing, but to be able to sit there and to say, here's where I am this year how am I going to, how can I plan for next year? How do I plan my growth? And, and how can I plan out my expenses? How do I, how do I sit there and how do I, how do I plan and how do I budget my cash flow 
so that when every every third week of the month, when I know my rents due or my mortgages due or something like that, that I I can look forward and know that I'm going to have enough cash to be able to pay that. And if if I don't, I have I I planned it out so that six weeks in advance, I know that that's going to be an issue. Right. And so I have now time to adjust. How do I how do I plan and how do I budget buying a hundred thousand dollar crane? or a $50,000 vehicle or, you know, big, massive capital expenditure purchases. What are the things that I have to think about in, in doing that budgeting? So I created a budgeting class. And then um, this week, actually, last week, I launched the uh, a class about working capital. And that that's the fuel that every business uses in order to do whatever you do to have a good or service, to produce a house, to produce a widget, to, to write a piece of software. If you don't have working capital, you don't have the fuel. And if you don't have fuel, then your business is not sustainable. And again, I try to just take these concepts that can be super banky and super dull and just to break them down to say, okay, entrepreneur, I don't need you to be an expert, but I need you to know your business so well that you are prepared and that you understand and you are sustainable. Um, so that's, that's the newsletter. Um, but then I also have, and thank you for, for bringing this up. Aggie growth hacks is a podcast that I have that, that we try to go out and connect Aggie entrepreneurs in, in the community. We try, we, and, and we have some amazing stories about, uh, Aggie entrepreneurs that have grown successful businesses. And really the point of it is to highlight them, but then to also say as the Aggie network, as people that are there, there, there are other entrepreneurs that can help them. There are other entrepreneurs that can learn from them. There are other entrepreneurs that can work with them, or there are individuals that can work with them. And to be able to say, you know, the, the Aggie network is so powerful and so special. I, I think every school has their own version of it. None but like really, AM. There, but none like it. I yeah. mean, truly, I mean, I, I I have seen, I've been deployed and it's a little bit different when you're in the military, but to, to have muster when you're deployed in Bagram, Afghanistan is something that's pretty special. Yeah. No, no other university has that tie. And so Aggie Growth Hacks is, is a way to focus and help uh, Aggie entrepreneurs. Um, it's been so much fun. Yeah. And of course, you and I are both, uh, you're a, a BB&T is a sponsor of an organization that I'm a member of, which is the Entrepreneurs Organization. Oh, I love um, it, yo. Yeah. So it, it's a wonderful organization. And you were our very first sponsor. Um, and uh, and you have provided a lot of value there. And of course, one of the things we always think about is is that relationship between how much are we inwardly focused and how much are we outwardly focused? And I think that all entrepreneurs and all entrepreneurial organizations uh, deal with that. You know how we've we've got to be connected in community. And hopefully, we are significantly driven by being connected in in community. Mm. And and how do we serve the community? So as entrepreneurs, as you know, it, to whatever degree we may have some success, how do we? then share that success in our community. And more often, well, very often, it's a matter of sharing the wisdom and knowledge we have, as well as hopefully the the financial success we've had. So, um, you know, um, bringing up younger entrepreneurs or just pe- maybe not even younger, maybe people who decided later in life that we they, they want to do that. Yep. You know, I worked my way through school. A&M was pretty 
affordable when I went to school. I'm I'm grateful for that. I've gotten a lot more expensive education in business <laughs> just from, you know, you, you fail forward, right? And, and every failure is expensive. And if we can help people in our community avoid some of the failures that we've gone through as, as we fail yes. forward, um, that's really a, a, an important service to, to provide. Um, you know, one of the things that happens is if you look at art or literature, you get groups of fairly creative people who hang together. So you get these literary groups, you get these artistic groups. Well, I think the mm -hmm. same thing happens entrepreneurially as well. And so as in our community, we can, we can build that culture of entrepreneurship to the degree that we share whatever knowledge we may have. Yes. And, and I would, uh, I agree a hundred percent with that. And what I would also say is that Bryan College Station, the Brazos Valley, is is a unique place in the sense that this community is so giving. Not not only from the sense of supporting and encouraging one another in in business from a straight up entrepreneurial aspect, um, to be able to have. Uh, entrepreneurs give advice and and to be able to be willing to hold up and pull along and give give opportunities for those who aren't as far along the path um, as they are, but also entrepreneurs understanding and giving back to the community in time and talent and treasures. You know that this community, I, I was absolutely floored by this. Now, now, granted, I came from a uh, a, a town or a, a county that was eighty three thousand. So we, we lived in Pinehurst, North Carolina. It was a great place to live, but the whole county, whole county was 83,000. So I come, come home to Aggieland and it's 240,000 in just Bryant College Station before you add the Blinn and the A&M students. Right. You know, I mean, Hugh, we had to drive an hour to, to target. I mean, we got two <laughs> targets in this town. This is, this was, this was amazing. But, but the fact of the matter is that this town is also the, a lot of the, the quote unquote, the social scene is geared around fundraisers for, for organizations that lift this community up and, yeah. and entrepreneurs put their money where their mouth is and saying, I'm not only going to support a, being a sponsor, but, but through the auction items and everything. And it's just so awesome to see how our community is better because everybody has that outward focus to make our community a better place. You know, one of my better experiences in the last few years when COVID hit and, and it just hit and things were shutting down, people didn't want us in their homes. You know, we, my business was frozen for a little while, sort of, and I wasn't sure what to do and I didn't want to live with the anxiety I had. So I uh, created uh, Brazos Feed It Forward. Yes. And I, I knew this was going to be really difficult. And the amazing thing was I was sitting there. I didn't really... I, I was okay. I didn't, I, I was worried as heck, but I, I, I was going to be okay. The, the businesses that were hurting the most were the restaurants and our locally owned independent restaurants were amazing. Yes. Um, uh, and, and, you know, they, they were really in a time of really, really hurting. And what did they do? They reached out and provided meals for people who were hurting yeah. worse than them. Uh, yeah. And, and it was gave, just so inspiring. I mean, Above the first thing, the first thing, and, I, and knowing a lot of the ones that the, the restaurateurs and entrepreneurs that you went through, 
they would say just that. They said, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not easy. It's difficult. It sucks. But what right. do you need? Oh, our first responders need some help. The, the right. ones that are out there on the front lines needs and, and for them to be able to use their expertise and creativity and their God-given talent of being able to turn pork tenderloin into something that is so savory and delicious and them to be able to give that or to be able to support those who need it more. That's what makes the Brazos Valley special. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, one of the things that I, uh, I always try to encourage is, um, for people to, whenever possible, you know, when I go out to eat, I try to go to a locally owned independent restaurant that does a lot of things for us. One is it supports our neighbors and two, it returns up to three times more revenue into our local economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and it's not like I'm saying that, that franchise businesses aren't good. They're great. You know, they also provide, but our, our local businesses, um, you know, that's supporting our local community, you know, and we're, we're just really fortunate to have, like you say, a, a community that, that giving's a part of our culture. But it's also a community that has leaders like you that, although they were worried as heck for themselves, said, how can I put this nervous energy to work? And you created something that was amazing. Yeah. But for me, it was, it was I, I, I'm afraid of my nervous energy. I got to put it to work or I'm going to go nuts. <laughs> that was, that was a, that was an amazing use and proper use of that. So, <laughs> so I hope you don't have to use that energy again, but it's pretty cool to, to as an outsider looking in to see. Well, there, you know, you it comes up every now and again. We, you know, when Harvey hit, we went down to, we, we suspended operation, went down to Houston for several weeks to help out. And, yep. you know, it, it, you can talk about altruism, but the fact is those are the times in business that, resonate the the strongest. That's the, right. So tell us, uh, Greg, uh, for people who are listening, how do they tie into the entrepreneur's banker? So I think that the easiest way to get a hold of me is either is by going to the entrepreneursbanker.com um, or uh, an e- probably an e- easier way because I know I, I've I know I need to fix that website because spelling entrepreneur is not the <laughs> easiest <laughs> word, but, um, but they can go to the entrepreneursbanker.com or just, just find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on, uh, I'm on Facebook, but LinkedIn is probably the the social media platform that I'm most active on. And I would just love to be able to connect and encourage and support um, any way that I can. I'd also say that there's a pretty good chance every, every Wednesday morning, at uh, at eight thirty, uh, out at the Lake Walk, it's um, the the old Nutribolt, uh building that's out near the Stella Stella Hotel. There's an organization called One Million Cups, which is kind of like the front porch of the business community. Um, so there there's a high percent chance that that I will be there every Wednesday morning. And what that is for for those who aren't aware of it, it's just a way. It, it's just a meeting of like minded entrepreneurs that get together every week. We highlight an entrepreneur and we just learn about them. We learn about uh, their their backstory, what they're doing, what they're excited about. And and it's it's not a pitch environment. It's not a uh, BNI. You know, you you don't go there to, to get to get business, but it's a way of saying, "Here's who I am," and we ask questions to understand better. And we always ask, how can we help you? And uh, we've had entrepreneurs from, hey, I'm growing. I need space. Well, guess who was sitting in the, in the audience that day? 
a landlord that just happened to have some new space that was opening up. So they were able to connect and help. I need help finding people in order to, to, um, to help with this new project that I've got going on. Well, guess who was in the audience that day? Someone that, that had just received, um, excuse me, just received notice that they were going to get low, let go from their job two months in the future. And so they were able to connect and to be able to help and serve one another. And so if, if you've got the opportunity again, uh, 8.30 every single Wednesday morning uh, out at, at the Lake Walk, um, that's the old Nutribolt uh, headquarters right there on near the Stella Hotel, One Million Cups. Um, you can go to One Million Cups BCS and uh, that's, that's a great place to go. Oh, that's great. I, I have not, I've heard about that organization quite a lot and I, uh, I haven't, I didn't know that it was ongoing. That's, that is really good to hear the, um, and it may be good too. I mean, almost everybody, most people are smart enough not to, <laughs> to go into entrepreneurship, uh, but almost everybody has an entrepreneurial dream, right? And so, you know, even if you're not engaged in a startup at the moment, uh, and you've got that entrepreneurial dream, going to something like that can really help you see what's involved. Being an entrepreneur is stressful. It's difficult. It's not for mm-hmm. everybody. But like I say, almost everybody has that dream. So watching and listening to other people can help you decide if that if that's a, there's a million dreams in life. We, we don't pursue them all. And, and it uh, is so cool to see what what happens in the Brazos Valley. Like you, did you did you know that there's a company in Bryan College Station that creates this foam that when you put it in an oil and water mixture, it'll suck up the oil but not the water. Oh wow! And it does it like 300 times its own its own weight. So you think about if we had that around during the 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 BP spill a couple right. of years back. How, how impactful would that be? Hugh, we've got, we've got a, a place in town that they breed flies that is used in agriculture. And I don't really know what they do, but so think about that. Someone makes a living for them and their families by breeding flies. Right. That is so cool in this town. Right. I mean, I mean, the fact is that Bryan College Station is such a great place because of our mixture of the knowledge base of A&M, the size of our community, not too big and not too small, and the nature of our community. So there are lots of really cool things. And, and, and you're right. I mean, there's so many cool things that are going on that we don't necessarily even know about. So it's, um, you know, that's, that's, it's, why we do what we do, we're doing here is we want people to know the stories of the Brazos Valley. We are a wonderful community. The um, okay, Greg. Well, uh, I really appreciate your time today. I know that uh, I take every opportunity I can to tie into your generous uh, giving of of information and and support. And I I sure hope that you know, other people will see fit to do that as well. It, it really helps grow our entrepreneurial culture. Well, thank, thank you again so much for doing this. Thank you for your leadership in this community. And uh, I just, I, I love being here. I love giving back and I love having the privilege of raising my family here. Yep, it is a privilege. All right. See you soon. Awesome. Thank y'all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.